Hi everyone, I'm Hayley Haggerty and you're listening to In Case of an Event. This podcast is where event leaders and experts share success stories, inner secrets and lessons learned on how to create, cultivate and future-proof large-scale events. I'm joined today by Craig Reese, Senior Vice President and Director of Jack Needle International. Jack Needle is known for advertising and marketing solutions in branded merchandise and have been one of the leaders in their industry for over 60 years. When faced with the pandemic, Jack Needle pivoted some of their business focus to not only providing the swag for virtual networking events, but they went one step beyond, creating interactive and fun virtual experiences from mixology courses to magic shows. Craig is going to share some lessons Jack Nadel have learned through the past 12 months and how he thinks we can continue hosting valuable experiential networking events virtually when we return to the new normal. Hi Craig, welcome to the show in case of an event. How are you doing? Excellent. Great. So, okay, we're sitting here. It's early 2021. The majority of people know and use Zoom, Teams or an equivalent. How do you continue to engage your audience at a virtual networking event? It's a really interesting question. Marketers and event managers have owned that in-person event for decades. We could almost all do it in our sleep. And then we had to pivot to these virtual events. And I don't know about everybody else, but a virtual event to me just doesn't maybe feel like a real event in the back recesses of my mind. And and it seems like more casual people are, maybe it's because people are in their living rooms or bedrooms doing this. And so in order to keep people engaged, you need to almost do as much or more than what you did in that in-person live event or conference. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, the backgrounds, the meeting swag to get people excited before it, send out pre event mailers, content, content, content. We, as a company, when we're planning our own conferences, you'll often hear leadership talk about content's the hardest to, hardest piece to come up with. It has to be exciting. It has to be interesting to people. Um, reach outside of your own organization for experts that might be able to come in and do interviews online, have some breaks in the day, so that people can do their business and take care of their families. So a lot of short little sessions, breakout sessions, just like you would do for an in-person conference. But it needs to be that multi-source sensory experience like you would have at an in-person conference, I think. Yeah, which is difficult to do when you're sitting in your living room or your bedroom, hopefully with a bed made. When and how did you transition to not only providing merchandise and branding, but also managing and hosting virtual events? So we haven't transitioned. It's more of an add-on, I guess. And and so we still think that that swag is a tangible connection to a company and their customer or a company and their employees. In our own events and and events that we've seen, we still do the journal book with with a schedule of events in it, send out apparel, hats, We did a really cute hat with a happy face emoji that had a mask over the the face. You still need to make that connection with people. And swag has the ability to do that. It gets people excited. There's the opening of the box. 
we've had a lot of clients that have had employees and, and customers post the box opening like people do with Apple products. So again, we we supplement you know our virtual events with swag. We think we still believe it's a very important part. Our business, we're never going to leave that market. We've been doing this business since the early 50s. And it is that connection that that makes things happen. But as live in-person events went away, we had to pivot. And we've created many of these in-house. We've gone out to other experts and we've teamed up with other companies to provide these virtual events. So, and they range from famous chefs that you see on the cooking channel. On a side note, those people get paid an unbelievable amount for an hour virtual event, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I think we're in the wrong job. <laughs> well, right. So so all of you should go back to cooking. Um, I don't know if you've all watched the Great British Cook-Off or whatever that show is on Netflix. It's my new favorite, but I wish I would have paid more attention to baking and cooking. I, it is, uh, I love food, so it seems like it would have been a natural, but everything from those people to sports stars all the way down. You mentioned magic shows, baking shows, cooking, beer, whiskey tasting. I think you need to be a little bit careful with alcoholic beverages as some people may not want to participate in that. So maybe that's good for smaller groups if you know the audience. I sat through a cooking class uh, in October and I just made uh, the meal again this last week. So what meal did you make? <laughs> it was a Mexican cooking class. And so it was a mole chicken and Mexican rice. And they taught how to make margaritas from scratch. So I made those and, and uh, very easy, by the way. So again, and then, and then you're wondering what swag, it could be a chef's apron or just some tools to use in the kitchen. And those have staying power. So there's a lot of ways of making that connection so that once that virtual event disappears into the ether, there's still a tangible product in their kitchen, in their home or with them that reminds them of that event. Absolutely. So what would be your biggest learning curve that you went through when you were managing virtual and networking events? Yeah, so early April, we were supposed to have our, our major conference that we put on every year. So we, we changed to virtual. And again, some of those major issues is making sure that presenters have the tools for a great event. And, it, and again, think of it in terms that what would you do on an in-person event or conference? If you have a presenter up on the stage, they have to have a mic. So having good headphones and a mic that you can hear people clearly, having a light, a circle light. I've paid particular attention to the media as many of the reporters are, are doing their broadcasts from home. You know, they're all well lit. They have some very interesting backgrounds. But if you see some of those circle lights are gigantic. And in order to clearly see people, you have to pay attention to those things. So again, use the techniques that you use when you're putting on conferences live in that virtual segment. So lighting, microphones, content, 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 rehearsal, 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 making sure that people have a good camera. All of the same things that you would pay attention before are really key now. Again, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that I was kind of lulled into 
a more casual mindset with with virtual events because I wasn't having to go anywhere. In the stress of seeing, you know, a couple hundred people in front of you, you can't see that. So you don't have that heartbeat that, you know, gets you amped up. So you have to come with the same energy. Everything is all important for that virtual event. And so those were some of the things that we learned over the last year. I was watching a, a hockey game over the holiday and during uh, in between the periods, they had two people in the control room talking and I don't think they were in the same control room. And then they beamed in a third person that was standing that was not there. And it, it was really like Star Trek, like they literally beamed him in. So it was all virtual, but it made to look like they were all in the same studio. So technology is con- going to continue to move in that direction and, and make it better. Those hologram companies are going to have their date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> finally. They're like, oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say that your main challenges have been? What has kept you up at night? What has kept you on your toes? Yeah, I've gone through a couple of these and I, I've got to tell you, it's almost more nerve wracking because there's a lot of things that you can't control or see, like, is the internet going to go down? Is there going to be a power failure? And if you're hosting at a hotel or a conference center, those things don't even enter your mind. Although, you know, certain events can happen and there's a major power failure, but that's not typical. And we all, we, all of us have experienced an internet connection issue. And so those are the things that that really scare me. I, I know we did a boot camp for a client. It was a three week boot camp in November to get people kind of in shape before the Thanksgiving holiday, and we were going through some of the uh, major points with the boot camp instructor the day before. And internet went out in her whole area that she lived in. I didn't even considered that happening during the conference. So we talked to her. Uh, we called her up on the phone. She recorded the entire boot camp that night. And then during the boot camp the next day, I literally followed along with the video as she was progressing live. And I made bumpers come up that said, hey, sorry, you know, we're having technical difficulties, just like a television station that we could put up really quick. And if the if the technical difficulty extended for a long period of time, we would have switched to the video feed. I mean, you you know, I kind of felt like I was in the control room of a TV station with all the TVs and you're pointing to what feed and, you know, do you go live or to the recorded? And so those things are really, they really concern me a lot. And, and I think, again, it is those little things that, that could really hurt your virtual event. And you have to prepare for the worst, hope for the best have all of that ready to go just in case anything happens. You mentioned there about the importance of high value production and I can only imagine attendees' expectations are going to grow. How do you think those growing expectations are going to impact the way we host virtual networking and events? I think it follows in a traditional trajectory of of life. You put on your first event, at your first in-person conference, And the next year you kind of want to do better and the next year you want to do better. And then you bring up more staging and you put flowers around it and more screens and then you have spotlights. And, and so the virtual events are going to follow that trajectory. You know, we, we videotaped everything from our conference in April 
And I'm sure if we go back and look at that, I would be, I would be, it would be cringeworthy looking at that. We're having another one in April and we're, we're looking to, to do better and, and to have more interesting content. There's a lot more people, technology companies entering this space that work with Zoom or other broadcasting platforms to help do things with the logos on the front of the screen, rather behind, you know, the backgrounds are becoming more dynamic. So there's a lot of different things that you can do to elevate that. And they're going to continue, these events are going to continue to elevate themselves. One of the areas that you and I discussed is the future of of meetings. And I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's germane to the conversation we're having now. Hopefully tech companies, all of our clients have, have kind of marked June 1 as kind of the return of the office. That's very fluid as vaccinations start to take hold. But I think there's people have gotten used to the virtual aspect that they're going to be a hybrid. There's going to be people have, at least our people and, and our clients, there's an overwhelming desire to go out and travel and to get face-to-face with people. Coming out of the box, it's, it's going to be just crazy trying to find event space here. You know, from June 1 for the next couple of years, people are just going to be dying to get out. But there's always going to be those people that can't attend because of family or, or a number of issues. And we've never videotaped our conferences before. I suspect that our conferences are going to be telecast you know, live now. And, and again, even possibly in between the sessions, you have a round table of people. So you have your own virtual conference going on during the other conference, kind of like the hockey playoffs, where during in between periods, you had your commentators talking about what just happened, which gives the people at home kind of the sense that they're, they kind of have an inside track to things. So I, I think there's going to be a dual role moving forward. And how do you think that's going to impact live in-person events? Haley, I left my crystal ball at home this morning. (laughs) Fair enough. Did not tell me I needed to bring that for this call. But, uh, you know, we are in such uncharted territory. If vaccinations roll out and 90, 95% of the country has vaccinations and COVID leaves our lexicon by September, a lot of people are going to want to travel and a lot of people are, are, are going to be willing to travel. If it's still a medical issue and there's still hospitalizations and it's still a health crisis, I think you're going to be battling, you know, some people are going to be comfortable traveling. Most aren't. And you're going to have to kind of play that. It's, we were hoping this was going to be over in 2020. It's bleeding through to 2021. Let's hope it doesn't bleed the entire year. Oh goodness, fingers crossed. I know from my experience the the real advantage of hosting a virtual event is that you get people coming to the virtual event that wouldn't necessarily travel to the actual live event, right. which I think is great and really important. What's really interesting and it goes back to the point that you just made. For Halloween this year, we hired a master pumpkin carver. Yes, this person really exists. I mean, what a great job. I have never seen anyone so enthused about their career. I This guy, I mean, I, I thought he was making a joke about himself, but he was so into this pump. He had an apron and all the tools. So we, we, did, we did a contest and he has a set of tools that we bought for all of our employees and they're 
inexpensive plastic tools. And we sent those to all employees and we encouraged our employees to participate in this pumpkin carving contest online. And it was about an hour and a half. And we had about 250, there's, there's about 300 people in our company, about 250 plus participated in this pumpkin carving, or they were online during this. And it hit home for me that virtual events now can be that bridge in between the year when you have your big conference, you can do other things throughout the year that brings an entire company together. That is fun, team building. Everyone gets some laughs. You can see these people getting a little too crazy about their pumpkin carving. There was families involved. Uh, and so that was really popular. So, you know, we have talked, the cooking classes were really good and, and the bartending classes, holiday cookies and so forth. But, you know, that, that pumpkin one, who would ever think that you could do a pumpkin virtual class? And it was so well attended. And, and I think for as marketers, we have to look for opportunities like that, that bring people together. Overall, budget-wise, it wasn't really expensive. And it's a good way to kind of bring those people around. So we were just talking about what the future looks like within conference or in person and conference attendance as opposed to virtual. The virtual, I don't think it's going away. It can be that bridge to bring people together in between that year annual conference time. For our conference in April, and then we did kind of a mini conference in the fall. We also, part of our sales conferences is we usually have a party one night with dancing and a band and it goes late into the hour and the bars open and everyone's having fun. Well, we've done a virtual rave um, a couple times now. And you think, God, who would do that? Again, almost everybody participated. We sent out a a tie-dye, a t-shirt tie-dye kit and a t-shirt. So people made their own tie-dye for the rave. The backgrounds, we sent backgrounds for the rave. So everyone had kind of, they could replace their background and kind of have a swirly kind of rave pattern. And, And we had that person in the background spotlighting different people and he kind of moved it around. And so everyone kind of had their moment in the spotlight, kids, family, pets, and the people that didn't want to be on camera just were enjoying it with their camera turned off. So we hired a DJ to actually play good music and to curate that playlist. But you know, the cost of that very minimal. So these things don't have to cost a whole lot. It just takes some creativity. And again, what's the purpose of the conference bringing people together? The rave brought people together. It was the talk of the meeting the next day. Hey, you were really busting a move there on the camera type of thing. So So if someone's on the fence about whether to incorporate a virtual networking event into their event plans for the next month, six months, what would your advice be on that? We spoke earlier about really making them more professional. And and one of the things that we learned is you have to, so our, our, let me back up. Our typical sales conference is a three-day event. There's a travel day, it goes for two days, and then they travel the third day or it breaks up about half halfway through the third day. With the virtual events, we extended those, we extended that over a period of two weeks because people are playing parent, they're playing teacher, 
They still have their business to attend to. So there's a lot of people being pulled in a lot of different directions. So extend that virtual event much longer than you would your your conference. Give a lot of breaks in there, short, short meetings, break it up with different content. Uh, we did an event similar to the Netflix show that David Letterman does, where there was an interview of somebody in our industry that our people normally don't talk to. Just that, just an interview with the two of them and then kind of a Q&A. Again, something similar that you might do on stage at a real event, but just kind of change it up, change your change where you where the people are hosting these. Sometimes I did it in my living room. Sometimes I did it at my dining room table. Um, it had that feel that it was a casual conversation between two people, not a virtual event. Yeah, I think changing up the location is really great, great idea. Um, I think for me, it took a while to understand that you could do more than one hour of a <laughs> webinar. You could do two days, three days, five days, a month worth of content online which you know right yeah we even went dark on Fridays um, and we sent out the schedule way ahead of time so people knew it they got the journal with their schedule they knew we had breakout rooms so they knew what rooms to go to and but you're right it's not you know people think two weeks of oh my god that's 80 hours of content no (laughs) (laughs) right um that was a learning curve for me in hindsight it makes sense though but it really was a learning curve. Um, so if people are going ahead with a networking event virtually and they don't have a big budget, as most companies won't, unfortunately, this year, what would be your recommendation? I mean, many of us, many of us know Bobby Flay from the cooking. His cost for an hour cooking class was a half a million dollars. Now, I can guarantee you that the pumpkin guy was not that much. I mean, how much How much can really a pumpkin guy get? You know, $1,000? I, I don't know how much we paid him, but it was worth every penny. And I would say he was more valuable than paying Bobby Flay $500,000 for an hour's worth of work. So Yeah, it really does go to show that you don't need to spend half a million dollars on a host to have a really successful virtual networking event. Well, thanks, Craig, for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And I look forward to October when we have a pumpkin carving competition and maybe we can have some of those margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> If you loved or even sort of liked this episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast, which will hopefully become one of your faves. Stay tuned for more episodes that will give you great support and advice on how to navigate in-person, virtual and hybrid shows in case of an event.